Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Amen. Grab a seat, everybody. How are we this morning? We are, first, just appreciate you being here at Crossroads. We are the remnant of the Texans that didn't move to Colorado for July. All right? Soak that in. It's good. You're going to get another jewel in your crown, I think, something like that. The crown's probably going to melt under the oppressive heat, but it's going to be there nonetheless. Uh, actually, I've been reading about this massive heat wave that's going to flow through the Northeast. Have you read that in the Midwest this week? And I can't help but just be really so happy for their pain. (laughs) It's going to be in the upper 90s in New York this week. And I want to look at them and say, yeah, you know, we call that October. But join us. It's all right, everybody. Welcome to Crossroads. My name's Charlie. I'm the senior pastor here. Before we get into Proverbs, a little family business for you guys. If you look at your bulletin in the middle, I believe it is. There is an elder appointment. And just so you guys know, if you don't yet, we are an elder-run church. That means that my words really don't go very far because the elders kind of run the church. It's lined out in Titus and in Timothy. And every once in a while, when people roll on and off our board, uh, we nominate new people to join. And so over the last three or four months, we've talked with Andrew Banks about joining our elder board. And we've talked to him and his wife. And we have a process we go through. And so the last step in that process is we put his name before our church. And we simply say, we want our elders, we need our elders to conform their character to the standards of the scriptures. Uh, because it is a position of authority in the church. And so we've done our homework, but if you know something we don't, we'd love to know. And this is not a place for gossip. This is just a place to say that we want to make sure that our elders reflect the values of Jesus. And nobody's perfect, but we want to make sure we're striving towards that end. So he's got a 30-day shot clock. It started last Sunday, and it'll go for the next month, and then we'll make it official, bring him on stage, pray for him, all the good stuff as we celebrate together. So be aware of that. Now we get to get into the Proverbs. If you haven't been with us... We're in a summer series on Proverbs talking about wisdom, and today is in some ways a continuation of last week's conversation. Last week, Nick was up here and did a fantastic job talking about talking. We talked about wise words, and one one thing that stuck out to me was that he said, on average, the average man uses per day 7,000 words per day. The average woman uses per day 20,000 words, right? My wife looked at me and said, you are not a man. I said, thanks. It builds into my, my uh, pride. Um, <laughs> I use a lot of words. And so today what we're talking about is kind of the flip side of the conversation on words. We're talking about how we receive them. How, today's about listening. And, and, and number research shows us that really roughly, if listening is an active and an engaging process, when people speak towards us, research suggests that about 10% of us are good listeners. 10%. We don't do it very well. And here's the hard part is you might not say a lot of words. You could say seven words and be quiet. But just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're a good listener. Those are two very different things. And we confuse them. We think, I'm not speaking. I must be a phenomenal listener. That's not true. Because what what happens in the scripture is really what what Proverbs talk about is is the value of listening. And so today, I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, I want to talk about kind of what wisdom is, why we listen in the first place. I want to talk about the word in the Old Testament and talk about what it meant as opposed to what we think it means today. I want to talk about what makes it difficult to listen in our current context and culture. 
And then finally, I want to talk about where it leads us if we're good listeners and if we create a space and a place in a church that listens well. Because the Proverbs are, we've talked about it, it's a book of a couple hundred years of cultural wisdom all coming together. So we're going to jump around the book today because that's kind of what the book does as they compiled their best thoughts over a couple hundred years on what wisdom is. And they said, you know why we know it's our best? Because the wisest man in the world wrote most of it in Solomon. So as we jump around the book today and talk about wisdom, we're going to hear what it has to say about the idea, the art of the wisdom in listening. Before we do that, we're going to start like we start every sermon at Crossroads. We're going to do a little praying together because we believe things happen when we come together and open the word. We have two goals at Crossroads on Sunday morning. I'm going to say it every week and you're going to get sick of it and me and I just don't care. Uh, one, we want to come together and we want to know God. And we do that through opening his scriptures. So you might have been in these scriptures before. You might have heard them before and that's okay because we fundamentally believe God's bigger than us. And as we retell the stories and reread the scriptures and study them even more, we can't get to the end of a God who's bigger than us because I need my God to be bigger than me if he's going to be worthy of worship. And so we open the scriptures and we study God because it tells us what his character's like. And as we study God, we experience the joy of the influence of God together. We call that worship and it happens when we open our Bibles, it happens when we sing, it happens when we take communion in just a little bit. And as we, as we come together and open the scripture as the community of God, we know one thing, that the Spirit says that the Word is living and active, good God works through it. Which means this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, that as we read the scripture, He's going to grow you. And so this isn't a one-man show, this is something we engage in together, active listening and some teaching. And we're going to spend some time and just pray that God doesn't work in you. That your spirit is shaped this morning into the image of Jesus as we open the scripture together. So let's pray, and if you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to pray silently to yourself a couple different times as we begin this morning. God, I'm thankful to gather here in Texas in July. I'm, I'm thankful that we get to come together as friends and family and followers of Jesus and just open your word. May we never get tired of that. May that always incite joy in our lives and encourage us. So where we're at this morning, I pray that we're encouraged that we get to study about the character of a God who's worthy of our worship. Pray this morning... As we open the scriptures, spirit, that you might shape our souls a bit. You might convict us where we need conviction, encourage us where we need encouragement. I'd ask that you take a couple seconds and just pray to yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to shape you this morning as we open the scriptures. I'd ask that you pray for me. The words I say might be encouraging and edifying. They might accurately paint the picture of the character of the God that we see in the scriptures. All God's people said... Amen. We're in it together. If you've got a Bible, we're going to start in the first chapter of Proverbs and then bounce around from there. So you can open that if you want to. We'll have most of the scriptures on the screens for you. As we begin the conversation on listening, I think what we have to start out with is the idea that fundamentally listening is a value proposition. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, if you're going to actually listen to somebody or something, you've determined that that thing that you're listening to has some value, intrinsic value for you in your life. And so we see that whenever the scriptures talk about listening in general, one of the most popular verses we see on listening 
It has to do with listening and kind of value is what we see about parents to kids, Exodus 20. We talked about it a few weeks ago when we talked about parenting. It says, honor your father and mother that you may live a long life in the land. The intrinsic kind of idea there is listen to them. And when you listen, you honor. That word honor in the Hebrew literally means heavy. It means weight. It means we recognize that the weight of something else impacts us. It's kind of like if you've ever been on a trampoline before and you're a kid and you get on it with somebody that's bigger, faster, and stronger, and they sit in the middle, you try to jump on the outside, see what happens, you know? Their weight literally pulls you in. It has an effect on you. When we have a conversation about listening, we have to understand that it's really a conversation. It's a value proposition. So this verse, for example, honor your father and mother, you might live a long time in your land, in, in the land, says if you listen to them, you will value the weight of their influence in your life. One of my favorite things as a youth pastor when I was in that game for a while was when parents would, would meet with me and they'd say, hey, Charlie, I, I need you to... I needed to meet with my kid. I don't know what's going on. I've tried everything. And I'd say, I'm 25 and single. Let's see how this goes. So I'd say, <laughs> you have no, yeah, no kids. I'd say, yeah, sure, absolutely. I actually love doing that. And, and I'd take them to coffee or something. And, and, and a few times, just a few times, parents would come back to me and they would say, I don't know what you said, but my goodness, you know, we've seen a change in our child. And I'd say, I said nothing different than you probably told them for some reason or another. They just listened to me. They gave my words more weight than they give yours. Get through the teenage years, it'll come back in your direction. But right now, they don't give yours a whole lot of weight. When it's saying, honor your father, listen to your father and mother, what it's saying is give their words weight. And when we look at the Proverbs and when we talk about wisdom, literally we have this tie between wisdom and listening that you can't separate. Wisdom begins with Proverbs 1-7, the fearing of the Lord or fearing the Lord is the beginning of discernment, or it says wisdom in Proverbs 9. And what we have to understand is that when we talk about the fear of the Lord as the beginning point, the starting point of wisdom, a couple weeks ago we used an analogy of a storm, a hailstorm in Texas, if you remember. And we said, when, when we talk about fearing God, It's a complex and nuanced conversation because that word means about three or four different types of fear. The fear that God is bigger than me and can smite me if he wants. The fear that God has been here longer than me and so there's this reverence. The fear that God made the Grand Canyon and when I look at the Grand Canyon, I'm just in awe of that, you know? So when you're in the middle of a hailstorm in Texas and there's all these sounds and it sounds like the earth is shaking itself as it's bouncing and pinging off things. It's like being under our portacache out here, which all of Double Oak runs to during a hailstorm. And you can be mesmerized and terrified by the things going on outside of you, but you know that in the middle of this scary situation, you're incredibly safe. That's the fear of the Lord. One writer, Justin Taylor, says the fear of God, and so it's left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch it right in the middle of it. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, here's what the verse says right after it says discernment. It says in verse 7 and verse 8, but fools have despised wisdom and moral instruction. Listen, my child, the instruction from your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So right after it says this is wisdom, knowing who God is and knowing that he's in control, right after it says that's the beginning of wisdom, is ascribing weight to God that he's earned. It says listening is the next step. So literally, if, if the idea of fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the ability to listen is the building blocks for the wise life. We have to put them together. You can't separate one from the other. So when we talk about wisdom, it's really a conversation about knowing and fearing God. When we talk about listening, it's a conversation about letting his weight 
impact our world. I was meeting with a former student of mine, actually, last Sunday. He just graduated college, and he asked to get lunch, and um, just check it in, see how he was doing. And we got to talking about his sister, and, and, and we got to talking about his sister dating a guy or engaged to a guy who, who just isn't a follower of Jesus. And, and we started talking through how to have conversations with people that don't believe in Jesus, you know? And we started talking about different kinds of arguments for, you know, whether you want to go to God's an uncaused cause or a moral argument. There's a bunch of different ones you can do. And as we started talking about it, I said, you know, and I've said this before, fundamentally, I think all religions try and answer two questions, all of them. Hinduism or JW or Mormonism or even atheism, I I think they try and answer two questions. The first question that we need answers as people is purpose. We look around, we read history, we look to the future and we ask the question, why am I here? There's got to be more to this than me, more to here than us. We have an intrinsic desire to have meaning and purpose that goes beyond my 50, 60, 70, 42, whatever it is, years on this world. And I think the second question that all religions try and answer is they try and explain away injustice. Because we look around and we see that the world is broken. And not just in stuff that you've done that you deserve, but like when an earthquake kills people that people didn't do in the first place, when kids get hurt. We see injustice and all religions trying to answer the question why that exists because that's not okay with all of us and it shouldn't be. And and I would say that Christianity, in my opinion, does the best job at answering those two questions regardless of of which one you want to ask. And so we had a conversation about the idea that what God's word does and the wisdom of God best answers the question that we need answers, meaning his weight, I believe, is the best answer to the questions that are weighing on our souls fundamentally about the world that we live in. That's why he says right after, here's the wisdom of God, which is the fear of God. Here's the next step, which is learning about what that is while we listen to God it finally says if you do these things in verse 9 it says for they will be like an elegant garland on your head like pendants around your neck if you live into these things it'll fix the brokenness in the world and you'll find your purpose so it's this conversation about the weight of God versus the questions that we have C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce and in it he talked about kind of the scales of justice and the weight of God and he said All the loneliness, angers, hatreds, envies, and itchings that this world contains, if rolled into one single experience and put into the scale against the least moment of joy that is felt in heaven, would have no weight that could not be registered at all. What he's saying is that the fleeting moment of heaven will fully outweigh in that moment of joy the most pain that we had outside of heaven. Saying he's God's answer for injustice is that he's solving the problem now and he's leading us towards the future where Jesus comes back. The weight of God is all around us. It fully explains the world I live in. And so what we have to understand is if we're going to listen, why we listen to God is because listening recognizes the weight of others in our world. And it starts with God answering the fundamental questions I have about why I'm here and why injustice exists. So if I believe God's answers, I allow his weight to impact my everyday. I'm going to stop down and listen. And the conversation about listening today in the Proverbs doesn't just apply to you and God. It doesn't just apply to how you listen to God through the scriptures. It applies to how we listen in general. Because the Bible makes the case that listening is very, very important. That word pops up almost as much as the word wisdom in the book. Listen, 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 hear, hear, hear. That's what he's saying is that we not only need to value or allow the weight of God to influence our world, but literally the weight of others to influence our world. Listening is something we press into as followers of Jesus. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a bunch on the idea of living with other people and community and the value of it. And he says, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. So he suggests, and I think he's true, that if, if there's wisdom in listening, if we're made to listen, if listening is allowing the weight of others to impact the world that we live in or our every day, then we need to see that just from God weighing in and those around us weighing in. Because it matters. Because we need wisdom. So wisdom, fundamentally, why we listen is because we recognize the weight of others in our world. But here's the hard part with that. Let's look at what, what wisdom is in general. Proverbs 18.13 says, The one who gives an answer before he listens, that is his folly and his shame. So literally what that verse is saying is that if I give an answer before I listen, my weight is weightier than everybody else's. I don't need to take into account anybody else's opinion for me to answer a question. And I get in trouble with that all the time because my wife and I share a calendar together, right? And some of you are like, Charlie, can you guys hang out? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, you did not ask me? And I was like, I meant to, you know? Folly looks like me not letting my wife weigh in on our schedule planning. Literally what this says is that is a foolish thing to do. The one who gives an answer before he listens. That values his own weight over the weight of others. But when it talks about listening in the Old Testament and in the, and in the Proverbs, it, it kind of is different than what we probably mean when we say and hear the word. We've talked a lot about um, kind of the overarching themes of different words in the scriptures. And when it comes to listening, it's not just a word like it might be to us. In the Old Testament, it's a theme. In the Old Testament, it is a way to live that you press into. Proverbs 20:12 says, the one who gives, I'm sorry, the ear that hears and the eye that sees, the Lord has made them both. And what that tells us is that you can have ears and you cannot hear. So in the Proverbs, it's going to use the word listen and hear kind of interchangeably. But what the scripture does as we press into the concept of, of listen is it makes a case that listening is different than simply hearing. The Hebrew word for listen that we're going to get into is shema. You might have heard that before. It's a huge concept in the Hebraic world. It's a big concept in how we raise our kids now. We do parent dedications, and, and when we dedicate kids, we read the shema over them. And if you're a Jewish boy or girl, you read it at the beginning of every morning, and you read it at the, at the end of every day. It's Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. It says, these are the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances that the Lord your God instructed me to teach you, so that you will carry them out in the land where you're headed, and that you may so revere the Lord your God that you will keep all his statutes and commandments that I'm giving you, you, your children, your grandchildren, all of your lives to prolong your days. Pay attention, Israel, and be careful to do this, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in number as the Lord God of your ancestors said to you, you will have a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord with all your God, with all your mind, with your whole being, and with all your strengths. So, so when we dive into the concept of listening, the first thing we have to know when we look at the word, what it is, is that there's a fundamental difference between listening and hearing. There's a fundamental difference between what the word means and what we mean when we probably say listening, like I heard you, but did you actually hear you? And it talks about in throughout the Old Testament when it uses this word, it talks about that concept a little bit, that listening is more than just hearing. One of the places we see it 
is in Genesis 29. In Genesis 29, there's a story. It's a really sad story. <laughs> the story of this woman named Leah. So Leah was the older sister of her and Rebecca, and there's this guy named Jacob who moved in with the family. And he said to Leah's and Rebecca's father, I, I think your daughter Rebecca is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I want to marry her. And the father said, great, work seven years for her, and I'll let you marry her. And so he said, that sounds so romantic, I can't wait. And he worked for seven years. And in the best version of bait and switch I've ever seen, he woke up the next morning after their wedding and said, hey, this isn't the one that I bargained for. And he said, too late now. <laughs> You've got to work another seven years if you want that one, right? So he did. He worked seven more years, and he got the wife that he wanted. But in the middle of that, Leah, his wife, felt so unloved, felt so completely ignored because she knew she was unwanted. And in um, Genesis 29, she talks about it. And she says in verse 33, again, she conceived Leah. And when she'd given birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard, there's a word Shema, that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Simeon's a derivative of the same word in Hebrew, Shema. So literally, she said that God didn't just hear me, just listen. He actually paid attention to what I needed. I needed something because I am unloved and ignored. And so this idea, the concept of listening is more than just hearing. It's paying attention to that which is calling for your attention. And I know this because I have an 11-month-old daughter and she's starting to eat real people food. And she already eats more than me and I don't know how, but in the mornings on Friday, I take care of the kid. I stay home and I make coffee and I have this thing. I put her in a little high chair and I dump all the food, right? Um, if my wife's listening, I do one at a time because that's what we're supposed to do. And so I, I drop one at a time before I really do. And I, I, like slow, I like slow mornings. I don't like fast mornings. I don't like chaos in the mornings because I just don't like mornings in general. And I have a chair in my living room that's probably 25 feet from my kid at the high chair at the table. And I make my coffee, and I put her in her high chair, and I drop whatever puffs or Cheerios or yogurt or, you know, it just really depends on how much I want to clean at the end of that meal. So I drop that on the tray, and I go and sit on my chair with my coffee, and I read my news, right? And it's a great dad move. I'm, I'm re I love my kid, and, and that food entertains her for a little while until she runs out. And she has started to, to be... She started to, let's just say, grow into her voice, if you know what I'm talking about. People say that like it's a good thing. Oh, my goodness. She used to, like, cry and scream, but it was just adorable, you know? It was like a little, it was like a little baby velociraptor, like, ah, you know, that kind of sort of thing. Now, when she screams, the neighbors think the tornado siren's going off in Dallas, all right? And so she sits at this table, and when she's about to get done with her food, she'll make this noise. And it's not just, Dad, listen to me. It's, Dad, pay attention, because I'm about to run out of food, and you need to do something about this because when that plate is empty the world is ending everybody I cannot wait for the teenage years I'm just saying this is what it says when he says listen it's more than just I see you it's I see you and my attention has been averted from my coffee and my news to whatever's happening in your world right now that needs attention so in one sense the word listen means pay attention to in the other sense the word listen literally means do something Psalm 27 7 hear me O Lord when I cry out have mercy on me and answer me. When the psalmist wrote this, he's not just saying, God, just hear me and pay attention. He's saying, hear me, pay attention, and then do something. Per my kid, put more puffs on my plate, right? I need you to act here. What, what the Hebrew word, what the concept of Shema is trying to relate is that you cannot listen and not do. 
You cannot listen and not be changed. It's the idea that listening allows the influence of others to impact us. And we see it both ways. As God listens to us and as we listen to God, Exodus 19, God is listing out to his people their contract. That, that he wants them to be his people. And he says, now if you obey, that word obey is the word listen Shema in the Hebrew, me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. When they didn't listen or obey, he said in Psalm 115, they have ears but cannot hear, noses and cannot smell. So you couldn't listen until it impacted your life. Listening recognizes the weight of others in our world and listening allows the influence of others to impact us every single time. And just as a small side note, um, I think sometimes we're not very good at listening in our culture. We're not good at listening to people that differ from belief systems and values than us. We write them off and we don't have anything to add to our life. Here's the deal. I think you can absolutely listen and disagree at the same time. We need to capture that again, you know? a friend of mine who's involved in a ministry, and I love this ministry goal. Their goal is literally just to make friends with Muslims. (laughs) It's really cool. They just make friends with Muslims, and and last week, one of them had them over for dinner, them and their whole families, and and look, they're going to talk to each other, and they're going to disagree about some things. (laughs) They're going to disagree about faith, and they're going to disagree probably with how they raise their kids, and they're going to disagree about what the scriptures are and what the scriptures aren't, they're going to disagree. But here's the thing. If you listen to someone, even if you disagree with them, it motivates your heart towards them and allows you to have compassion where there wouldn't be compassion. If you truly listen to someone and allow their way to influence your world in a way that influences and impacts you, it's going to change how you treat them. It's the conversation we had a couple months ago about our goal is not to see people that don't follow Jesus as enemies. It's to see them as captives that need to be set free by what Jesus brings to the table. So when we listen to those we disagree with, what it's doing is it's still changing us in some beautiful ways. still allowing us to have compassion for something we might not know. But two, and this is the other hard part sometimes about listening, it's hard for me to listen when I disagree with someone, even though I need it. Because the Proverbs is saying I need it, not just a suggestion. It's saying, hey, wisdom also looks like listening to those people that you can't do anything about or help. And that's the hardest for me. That's the hardest. As a pastor, I will have some conversations every once in a while with people who are going through a lot of pain. And, and most of the time, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> when family members get sick, when people die, when kids are not obeying their parents, uh, I have a hard time stepping into the situation because I'm a fixer. I want to get in and fix it for you. I want you to experience joy. I don't want you to be in pain. I don't think God does either. So I think there's a part of me that really wants to fix it. And it's really hard to listen if I can't fix your problem. But then I think about Jesus, you know? I teach this summer, we're doing summer classes, and uh, I'm leading the next two weeks. Last week, we had a class on sous vide. It's a food preparation method, and I'm teaching the food class again this next Wednesday. So if you're signed up for any of the classes, or if you want to switch from, say, the Creed's class to cooking, come on. Um, we're going to talk about braising, everybody. And, and, and why I bring that up is because I really do think all things God gives us are graces from God. So I think that we talk about creeds and theology and it's a reflection of God's goodness. And I think we eat good food and it's a reflection of God's good graces towards us. I think sometimes about why God did the things that he did because I think that shows his character. And one thing with food that gets me, that just gets me, is why, why did God make food taste good? He didn't, he didn't have to do that. 
He could have made all food taste like kale. And we just would have had it. There would be no obesity. We just would have rocked and rolled and been filled. But he didn't. He made food taste amazing. And he did that because he loves us. It's an overwhelming showing of his abundant grace for us. So when we talk about listening to people that maybe have problems we can't fix, I think about Jesus. Because when I think about if I was God, how I would fix Why did Jesus walk in this world for 33 years? He could have done it in three, you know? Why did he come and walk in our mess and in our brokenness? Which, by the way, is an added layer because he created and knew what it should have been. He just walked in it and listened. Sometimes he healed and sometimes he didn't. He said, I will one day, but not right now. He sat there and he listened. It's something called the ministry of presence that Henry Nouwen talks about quite a bit. That maybe our job as the church is not to say we can fix your pain, we'll try, but to sit with you in the middle of your pain and brokenness and say that God loves you and I do too. There's a quote from uh, now and that I really like. He says this about listening. Listening is much more than allowing another to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. The beauty of listening is that those who are listened to start feeling accepted, start taking their words more seriously and discovering their own true selves. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends. So, so listening isn't just something we're called to do because we recognize the weight of God in our world. Listening is a ministry that we have to other people who need to see that God is with them. And when we don't listen, we don't show them that side of Jesus. So it's not just a suggestion. It's how we show people the hope in Christ, but it's hard. So we listen because we recognize the weight of God and others in our world. We listen because we know that we, as we listen, we allow them, to, their influence to impact us. I think, too, when we listen, we have to recognize the innate challenges of listening. And, and the first thing that I'd say about it, there's really two ways that it makes it difficult to listen in our current context and culture. One is culture is loud, and two, so am I. And by me, I don't mean my voice. I mean that one inside of you, you know? So culture is loud. Let's talk about that for just a second. I, I have all these stats that I can show you on literally how the world is getting louder. Like it's noisier than it was two decades ago. I can list through the stats that I have on household products that make noise that we didn't have, like vacuum cleaners and fireworks and things like that. That literally the ocean is louder now than it was 100 years ago. That, that the world is actually getting louder. But beyond that, it's getting louder just in sheer volume of stuff that we listen to. Nielsen put out a study and said the average American, the average American consumes media for 11 hours a day. At CBC, we are overachievers, so we're probably at 12 or 13, right? 11 hours a day, you're consuming media. 11 hours a day, you are listening to somebody talk to you and at you. There is a, a, uh, I was talking to a buddy last night about our mutual affinity for Tom Cruise because Top Gun 2 trailer dropped and I'm excited, everybody. So... We were talking about Tom Cruise, and there's a movie he's in, and I forget which one it was, but it's one set in the future, and there's a scene that stuck out to me. As he's walking through this mall, he's got a retinal scanner in his eye, and all these ads that are coming at him aren't just posters on the side of the wall, they're targeted ads to like him and his needs, you know? Like last night, you cooked steak, how would you like to cook this tonight? That kind of sort of thing, called him out by name. And what I mean by that is I don't know how far we are away from that. Hello, Alexa, she's listening. I don't know how far away we are from that. I do know this, though, that seemingly the loudness that I get from my culture is more and more targeted to my needs, and that's scary. It makes it harder not to listen because it knows me, you know? 
So when we talk about the loudness of culture, we have to talk about the idea that it's really hard to hear the wisdom of God through the quantity of stuff out there. There was an article a few years back, and it was called, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And this guy wrote this book about how we consume media, and he said, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. (laughs) That was an apt description of how we live our life on and off social media. And, And why I think that matters is because culture is getting less and less in love with the story of Jesus. There's a study put out by Gallup that said that the percentage of American adults who say they have no religious preference doubled from 8% in 2000 to 19% in 2018. Simply put, the story of Jesus that informs us about what wisdom is is not becoming the narrative of the culture we live in and the culture we live in is loud. It's what causes us to not listen. (laughs) The loudness of the culture we live in. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament where Elijah just helped deliver some of his people and then God says, go to this mountain and so he goes. And in the middle of him trying to hear the voice of God, there's a quote from 1 Kings 19, 13. After the fire, there's a soft whisper. So God sent, there's a fire, there's a flood, there's an earthquake. And it said, after all of those big, loud bangs, there was a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his robe and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave because he's informing me that that was the voice of God. Sometimes the voice of God is hard to hear through all the stuff going on in our world. And sometimes we need to recognize if you want to listen, you have to lean in to the softness of the scripture. One commentator said, with the, overwhelmingly, with the overwhelming flood of information and opinion in our times, much of it is a mixture of spin, sound bites, and trivialities. It's a relief to turn back to the Bible. It's a relief to slow down and, play, and pay close attention to the deep insights that have stood the test of time. If we're having a conversation about listening to the wisdom of God that's found through the scripture that he's given us, I'd say the first thing we do is you have to be intentional in finding space for it in a culture that is seemingly louder and louder and not telling us the same story. So my question would be, when do you do that? When do you seek out the softness of scripture against the loudness of culture? When I first moved to Flower Mound 10 years ago, I lived with uh, three of the guys. And we lived right off College in Morris, right down the road. And it was great. I'd, I'd never lived with, um, with guys in a house before. I'd lived in apartments, small, small apartments in Chicago. I'd also had something that was a first for me. I, I'd actually never in my life, I was 25, I'd never in my life had my own bedroom. So this was really exciting. I'm a twin, you know? I went from twinness to dormness, from dormness to grad school, where there was four of us living in a closet in Chicago. I mean, it was just not like I had a ton of room. And I had a small room, but a room. And I was so excited. Didn't have a bed. I moved in with an air mattress and slept on that for six months until one of the other guys was like, dude, just take mine. I was like, great, thanks, appreciate you. You know, charity's good. So I, I moved in with these guys, and they said, here's the one condition. You have to live with us. And I said, what's that? These were all Christian dudes following the Lord. One of them was a pastor. Um, and they said, you know, we're all 25-ish years old and single, and we're living together. And our house in this cul-de-sac we lived on was always open. And people would literally just walk in our garage and walk in our house because we wanted to be there for our community. And we got to know our neighbors really, really well. We said, except for Thursday nights. Thursday nights, we shut our doors, we close our blinds, and we sit down together and we talk about how God's been faithful to us and what we're going through. And they said, this is the condition. So I don't care what you have going on in your world. 
Every Thursday night, you stop down here. I don't care if Tom Cruise invites you to the premiere of, of, of Top Gun 2 himself. If it's on a Thursday, you're here, you know? And they were serious about it. And for six, eight, nine months, however long we lived there before they all got married, because again, we've talked about it, that's my superpower. Uh, I, I sat there with him every Thursday, and we talked about how God's been faithful. We intentionally sought out the wisdom of God in the world that was louder and louder speaking against the wisdom of God. So I think the first thing we recognize when we talk about wisdom, when we talk about how it's challenging, is that basically culture's loud. But two, I think oftentimes the loudest part of, of not listening to wisdom isn't culture, it's us. Proverbs 18 says this, before destruction, the heart of a person is proud, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be lowly in spirit with, afflicted, with the afflicted than to share in the spoils with the proud. I don't think I have to go too far into this one, but it's just saying the reason why you can't listen to wisdom is because your voice inside of you is shouting that your weight is weightier than anything around you. You're prideful. There's a show on Netflix that I... I like it. It's called Last Chance You. It's an adult show. Don't watch it with kids. It's a show. It's a reality show about people that don't make it in sports. And, and having been one of those people, I can relate. Not really. They all got D1 contracts. Um, and I had a hard time playing at Moody. So I think when we talk about the commonality of experience, it wasn't quite there. But one thing one guy said, so this is a show about these kids in football. They get D1 scholarships. They are the best and the brightest. One of them literally was the number one quarterback prospect in the country a couple years ago. And they go to these D1 schools, they just can't cut it. Uh, for whatever reason, either grades or, um, you know, they, they just don't feel like they're the best anymore. Because that's a hard thing. They've been the best in their craft everywhere they've gone, most likely all their life. On every field they stepped into. And now they're at a school where everybody else was the best too. And there's a new cream that rises to the crop. Or some people get an academic or just, you know, trouble with the law. And so these kids, it's all their second and last chance. Last chance you. And I was watching an episode this weekend. And one of the kids said, you know the scary thing? He said is that we all have the talent. Like, there's so much talent, and there are whole goals to make the NFL. And they said, we have the talent. The problem is we just won't let people help us. We won't listen to coaches, and we won't put in the work. And that's what stops us. It's not a measure of aptitude. It's their willingness to listen. The hardest thing they have in coming to wisdom for them is their own selves. In Pilgrim's Progress, it's a story written long, long ago. It talks about this man's journey, essentially, through the world to find God and as a quote I loved, it says, as he's going through one of the segments, and what is this valley called? He said, we call it now simply Wisdom's Valley, but the oldest maps mark it as the Valley of Humiliation. <laughs> the irony is pride humiliates us and humility honors us. That's why it says in Proverbs 18, the one who gives an answer before he listens is that is his folly and his shame because his pride humiliates him. C.S. Lewis says, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. And if you want to know where all sin begins, it's pride. It starts because you have two options, right? It starts in the garden with Adam. And all the other sins that we have are places that we rebel against God's good design. They are simply outworkings of this one thing. We have to weigh, is it our way or is it God's way? And when we pick our way, when that conflicts with God's way, usually good things don't happen because God created the world and knows how it works. So all sins that we come into are usually just a manifestation or an outworking of our pride from Adam to us. I love Tim Keller. He's a New York guy, so he's going to get to the point. He said, if you always know best, you are stupid. <laughs> love that, man. This idea that if you don't listen, it's just a wellingness up of your pride. 
So listening recognizes the weight of others in our world. It allows the influence of others to impact us as we step into the ministry of listening. And it looks past the loudness of culture and self. But here's the deal. The last thing wisdom does, the last thing listening does, is listening leads us to understanding. So when you look at Proverbs 15.32, the one who refuses correction despises himself, but whoever listens to reproof acquires understanding. Proverbs 2, then you will understand how to fear the Lord, and you will discover knowledge about God. (laughs) Because as we walk through what listening is, We see that listening is an act that we engage in because we recognize our perspective versus God's perspective and the weight of God and the weight of others around us. That listening calls us into action in some form or fashion. That that listening is hard, but that at the end of the day, listening is not just about action. It's about understanding. There's a huge difference between action and understanding. And what the Proverbs say is listening leads to not just action, but understanding, which means we plug into the bigger story that the action is trying to tell in the first place. Jesus makes this example in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We just spent a year in the Sermon on the Mount. He sits with these people that knew the actions of God, that lived out the actions of God, and he says things like this, you've heard it say, don't murder. And I'm not saying you're murderers, you don't murder. You've heard it say, don't murder. But what I'm telling you is even though you do the action, you miss the point behind the action, the understanding. Instead, don't even hate the person around you. You've missed the point. He said, you've heard it said in marriage, don't commit adultery. And while you get that one right, you miss the point of that saying, which is understanding that marriage design is that you faithfully live in and for your spouse, not lusting after other people. So even though you don't commit an affair, you're not fulfilling the understanding of why that law was there in the first place. I got the privilege of doing a wedding Last weekend, I'm a kid I've known for a long time, and we sat and we talked about the idea that their marriage tells a story of something bigger than just them. It tells a story of how God faithfully pursues us. So tell that story. Don't just check the boxes in marriage. If I didn't cheat today, yay, you know? I served my wife today, good. Saying marriage tells a story of God's faithfulness to us. Even when we mess up, it tells a story that God's not going anywhere. And that's a beautiful picture of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. Tell the story of understanding, not just doing. So I met with that kid. We talked about his sister's uh, significant other. After we talked about a lot of different ways to convince this guy that God is good, which I think are good conversations to have, I said, fundamentally, man, in my years of ministry and in my reading and in conversations I've had with people, I believe that we can give people all the facts in the world to follow Jesus, but I think the best way to show people that Jesus is worth following is showing people the beauty of Jesus, not the duty of following Jesus. So what we say there is that I'm not gonna ask you to follow the checkboxes of God. That's just listening without understanding. I'm gonna ask you to step into the beauty of living life the way that Christ says it and show people that because there's a huge difference. And we see it like with every life stage, for example. My wife and I dated for five years before we got married. We waited five years before we had a kid. Let me tell you something. We know we should have gotten married. We know that's something you're supposed to do as you grow up and move out of college. You know, that's, it's a box we need to check. But you know what really sold us on both those things? Watching our friends step into marriage and tell the story of Jesus, seeing the beauty of what marriage could be. You know, you know what really made us want to have a kid? Watching our friends become parents, seeing the beauty and joy of what parenting does. 
What Proverbs is saying is when you listen, you understand the weight of others, you allow it to impact and influence you, you overcome the challenges, but ultimately you listen because when we listen and we act, we tell the story of the beauty of Jesus. And you can't do that if you're not going to listen to God in the first place and others around you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this, we should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. And so what we do today is talk about the value of listening because it tells a story of the beauty of Jesus. We want to be a culture that listens often and listens well. And, and as we do the things, we're just pressing into that story. As we take communion in a couple of minutes, we're just retelling the story of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his forgiveness and his grace. And we're saying we are going to understand why we listen in the first place, understand the bigger picture. So as we take communion now, listen to the story of God that we're stepping into. Listen to the story of God that's all about love and forgiveness and grace. And may we be a people that don't just do the things, but as we recognize God's weight in our world, as we allow his weight to impact and influence our lives, as we overcome the loudness of today, might we allow others to understand and see why we follow Jesus too. If you haven't taken communion with us before, uh, we're going to go into a time of it right after I pray. And you can go whenever you want to go. You can go right away. You can wait a little while and, and just take some time to think and pray. You line up and you grab the bread and you dip it in the, um, in, in the grape juice. And as we do that, might we listen to what God's trying to tell us as we take communion. So let me pray for us. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you called us to be a people that listen. It forces us out of our prideful inclinations. It forces us to press into your ways. It forces us to remember perspective. As we take communion, I, I pray that as we do the action of the bread and the cup, that we're reminded that we need to listen to the story of Jesus, to those around us as they tell that story as well. We're so thankful for what he did and who he is. We have the opportunity to come on days like today and stop and listen to the things that matter. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.